0: another
1: episode of Wizards After Dark, and we're following another win. Two straight for the Wizards. They're 15-23 and 23 on the season now after a 114-98 win, home win, over the Hawks. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. Um... Let's see this. Jeff Green, 22, 6, and 6. Jeff Green was 4 for 8 from 3 in this one. He's shooting like almost 50% on corner threes now on the season. Bradley Beal kind of looked like he had an off night and still finished with 24 on 20 shots. Thomas uh, Thomas Bryant had 16 and 15. It was the night of Thomas's. Cassado also had 14, 11, and 7. I'm here with Brad Roland of many different things, of dime, up rocks, of peach tree hoops, Covers the Hawks, and we're we're Skyping. You're in Atlanta now, right?
0: I am. Yeah, nice and comfortable here in Atlanta. I was not at the game, but uh, got to, got to watch it, and it was a you know a result that probably will ha- will please some Hawks fans and not please some Hawks fans. It's one of those things where if you're uh, a, re- a rebuilding team, losses are different than when they're not a rebuilding team.
1: Yeah, it uh, the Wizards uh, aren't really sure how they feel about <laughs> it. They're in that weird place where. They don't know. Or I'm sure some fans feel very strongly about one way. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of fans who are, at this point, just hoping they lose and get as high of a draft pick as possible, which is a pretty reasonable thing to think. But the Wizards don't necessarily think they're out of it. They're, what, two and a half out of the eight seed now? I haven't checked the final score of the Pistons game. Did the Pistons win? I saw they were up five.
0: I believe they did. Yes, they did. They won, they won by seven. So uh, that's a uh, less than favorable result if you were trying to make the playoffs for the Wizards.
1: That is an accurate statement as well. So the Wizards right now are three games back of Detroit. They're four back in the lost column. The Pistons are 17 and 19. Man, how many? I've been saying all year, I think 38 is the number to get in in the Eastern Conference. I think you need 38 wins. How
0: that many sense, wins, that how many right. How
1: many wins is the nines seed going to have?
0: The nine c probably yeah somewhere in the thirty I would say thirty five thirty six. Well, that means need,
1: if, if if nine c has thirty five thirty six, that means 30, you need thirty six thirty seven to make it.
0: I think that might be in play with some of these teams at the bottom of the East. I mean, as, as sad as that sounds to say out loud, it's uh, not, not a lot of these teams inspire a ton of confidence. I will yeah, say, Yeah, no,
1: I don't think that's I don't think that's a wild statement at all. I don't think that's a crazy statement in the least. Uh, where are we starting on this game? This game was closer than the final score indicates. I mean, the Wizards went on a twenty to four run to close it. It was tied at ninety, tied at ninety four, right? Uh, and then the Wizards went on a twenty to four run to close the game. Once again, Scott Brooks played his starters a lot of minutes in this one, and uh, the starting lineup was was good. They they went on that run at the end. Uh, what do you think of Thomas Bryant? So, Thomas Bryant tonight started again 5 for 5, finished 5 for 7, hit 16 points, he had 15 boards, he's 21 years old, he was a second round pick. The Lakers gave him away this summer. And now he's like, he's not just a starter in name anymore. Like, he's actually playing. He played 39 minutes tonight. He's averaging like 16 11 for 36 over his last six games. He's, he, or 22 and 11, I'm sorry, like he's been, he's been real. Like, he looks like a real player.
0: Yeah, I've always liked kind of I've always kind of liked Thomas Bryant. I mean, I'm actually someone who grew up as a as a Big 10 fan, a Michigan fan, so I saw a lot of saw a lot of Thomas Bryant in college. Kind of liked him there, kind of liked him all the way through. I mean, I'm not sure I I would have projected, you know, 16 and 15 tonight or something like that, but the numbers have been good as you mentioned. He's been really efficient. He was I think perfect again in the first half. He's done that already once this year, I know. I was reading you write write all about his perfect game earlier in the year and yeah, it's uh, you know, I think he's just a solid piece, and given how young he is, isn't he still 21? Yeah, 21. That's, really, that's really impressive to be playing, you know, almost 40 minutes. Great. I mean, the Hawks are exactly known for their defensive resistance, but the fact that he was able to play that much, be efficient, and be productive like that—it's an, you know, he's, he's an NBA player and looks like a pretty solid one.
1: So Scott Brooks has been doing this thing lately, which he just had not been doing, and I wrote about this this morning. So we're recording this at like 11 o'clock on Wednesday night after the game. Scott Brooks has been doing this thing this year where he's he just hasn't been playing lineups, the same lineups. And part of it is because they've had injuries and he's been forced into it because they lost Dwight and they lost Marquise Morris now and they lost John Wall and they've had all these problems. But Brooks has also been inconsistent in playing the same lineups. Lately, like the last three games – He's just playing his starters, like a crazy amount of minutes. And I'm not saying, when I say a crazy amount of minutes, I don't mean like he's running Thomas Bryant and Bradley Beal through like out of the gym, like Bradley Beal played 36 minutes. But he's clustering his starters together. He's playing those guys together all the time. They played 27 minutes together tonight, which is a lot for one lineup. Last game against uh, the Hornets, they played 26 minutes. So Scott Brooks is, like, really playing his starters together a lot, and he seems to be doing it tonight. The start, I mean, the starters was what won it for them. He, he played the starters 27 minutes, and they were plus 38 per 100 possessions. Really, really good. Uh, Brooks goes in and out of rotation habits, but I don't know. I think that's interesting. 27 minutes in one game for one lineup is wild, and the fact that it's happened in two straight games now is really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a jarring. I didn't really realize that in the moment. You know, you see the box score, you see all five starters playing 36-plus minutes. That's jarring in itself. And then you realize, you know, 27 minutes for one lineup in one game just doesn't happen. I mean, I guess it does every once in a while, but that's just not a regular occurrence in the NBA. I think that's just, that just has to be pointed out. I get, granted, it's obvious, you know, the Wizards are pretty short-handed at the moment, especially with Otto coming back and all of that. But still, you don't really see lineups being leaned on to that degree um On a regular basis, and as you mentioned, it obviously works. So you know, no shade here. Um, but you know, on the Hawks side, they played one guy 44 minutes, which never happens on the Hawks either. So it's sort of a weird night in some ways. But you know, I guess when a lineup is working, you just keep running it and keep running it. And if you don't get killed when they're off the court and you kill when they're on the court, that's a pretty good recipe.
1: Here's perspective for you on how often Brooks is using that lineup. So he has only used it in five games now. Because it's kind of a random crew. Like, because Wallace hurt, Howard's hurt, Morris is hurt, and Porter's been hurt until this game and came back and came off the bench, played limited minutes, and didn't start. And that starting crew of Satoransky, Beal, Jeff Green, Trevor Ariza, Thomas Bryant has only played in five games together. It is already is twelve minutes
0: away from being the Wizards' most used lineup of the season. Yeah, that's 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 again. That's pre, it's pretty jarring. I mean, you just you just don't see that stuff. I mean, it's uh, one of the things you have to be paying attention to even find. But twenty, I mean, twenty seven minutes in a game in one lineup. Like twenty six last much, game. I can yeah, I can pretty much guarantee that in the time I've been covering the Hawks, which is you know getting up near a decade now, I, I don't think I've ever seen the Hawks play out that much of the game in a, reg- in a regulation game, and that they just did it twice in a row. Uh, it's pretty jarring.
1: I don't ever remember seeing a lineup consistently play this much. They played
0: 118
1: minutes in five games.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even, I'm not even, not even sure what to say. It's just like that's it's just something you don't see. And I think no. you know, it may not seem crazy if you're just not like, in, injecting yourself into this stuff all the time, but that, that is crazy. I can tell you that right now. Yeah,
1: and you know what? Honestly, props to Scott Brooks. It's working. They're plus 38 tonight on the season. They're plus 12.2 per 100 possessions. That's really, really good. He, he obviously immediately noticed something working and is like, I'm just going to stick with it. And, you know, in a situation like they're in with not just Wall out, but other guys out too, and Porter playing limited minutes, like, go with it. I mean, nothing – it was never more obvious than tonight when it was pretty clear Scott Brooks was saving Otto Porter for the second half, right? Like, he was on a 20-minute minutes restriction, and he played him only seven minutes in the first half. It was clear he was saving him for the second. He was at a a little bit under 14 minutes with about, I think he called his timeout with like 6.57 or there was a stoppage for whatever reason with 6.57, 6.59, something like that. You're perfectly wedged to get Otto Porter into finishing him with 20, 20 and a half minutes. Like that's perfect. And he doesn't sub in Otto. And he rolls with the starters and the starters end the game on a huge run, which not just wins them the game, but wins them the game handily. And, I asked Brooks about the game, about that after the game, and he said that he was going, he was planning on going to auto, but he liked the way the starters were playing, and he just stuck with them. And uh, I, I thought that was a good coaching decision. I thought that was interesting because I always think it's interesting when a coach is clearly angling towards making a decision, and then see something on the court and is like, nope, not doing it now. And uh, it, it worked, it worked, and it's it's just an interesting trend because, like you said, like that's a wild, it's a wild number. It really is.
0: Yeah and I and I agree I think it's uh I, I always want to give props to coaches that don't I mean you know you, you have to plan you have to scheme you have to sort of lay things out but just not being too wedded to that. If something is going to work, and being willing to go away from it, sometimes it can get you in trouble. Like when you're when you see a, a lineup that shouldn't be doing well suddenly doing well, you can ride with it per, for too long and not go back to your better players. But in this in this in this situation, when your starters are the ones playing that well for you, you kind of want to ride them. It seems like, and you know, props to him for making that adjustment because obviously, you know, on paper, Otto Porter is one of your best players. You would go back to him and if, if, they, if the entire plan is to do that. But in this game, they had they had something going. The Hawks, you know, sort of fell apart almost on cue there in a, a typical Hawks way. But, um, yeah, it worked. And, you know, props to Brooks for being creative and being willing to go away from the plan.
1: Yeah, and Otto looked a little rusty in this game. Yeah, he didn't tell. look great.
0: He had, he had a stretch
1: for a little bit where he was making some shots and they were running the offense through him for about three minutes, four minutes in the third quarter. But other than that, like, he looked rusty, which is fine. I mean, he hasn't played in almost a month, so – that's that's fine. We'll we'll see how he does in Miami on Friday when they have the minutes and that kind of stuff. But you know, I think that's like an excusable restiness, you know.
0: For sure. I mean, if you haven't played that long, and yeah, you're, even with, when when the plan is to play uh, was it up to, up to twenty minutes was the minute, was the minutes restriction? You know, getting fourteen, having some nice moments, like it's kind of all you could ask for. You can't really ask for too much more than that in game one back. John Collins going to be an all star. Uh, there's suddenly been a movement for that recently in Hawks Country. I think it's it's very easy to get uh, get people excited. And granted, he has been really good. The numbers have been really really good. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, what, about sure. what about in his career?
1: What uh, about in his career? I
0: would guess. I would still guess no. But it's it's definitely more possible than you would think. Just because I think he's almost a classic. This is going to sound like I'm like I'm criticizing him, and I'm not. But his numbers are going to look good. Um, almost when he does. There are nights when he, when he doesn't even play well. Even Lloyd Pierce has said this after games. There are nights when John just kind of falls into like 15 and 12 when, when, he, when, he when he doesn't play well. And for a team that doesn't get a lot of pub and doesn't have a lot of people watching them, you look at his numbers and you're just seeing him average like 20-10 for a month of December. And it's like, oh, this guy must be really good. And and he is. He, he's a good player. And his weaknesses are defensively and things that get sort of undercovered by you know casual people. So I do think it's possible because I think there might be a world where he averages like 20 and 10 for a season. And most guys that average 20 and 10 for a season make the all-star team, at least in the East. So it's no longer crazy. I, I would still, I would still say no, just because I'm not sure what he actually is long-term. But if you if, you told, if you told me that he's going to be like the number two option on a team playing 33 minutes a night, then he might be able to do it just on just the numbers alone. I'm totally into him. I, lo- I mean, I love him. He's, he's really good. I, I wish he could defend more. And I think, it's encouraging that, you know, coming into the league, I thought he was going to be just terrible defensively, and he's not terrible. He's not He's not good, and he, he, he may never be good, but the fact that he's almost already passable in year two is really exciting, and he's super athletic. He plays really hard. He's a good kid. I've talked to him, obviously, a, a lot, and he's a very, very good kid. Seems to have his head on his shoulders. He's efficient. He's, he's now shooting the ball. I'm not sure about the three-point shot still, but he made he made a bunch of them tonight, and you know, he's just a lot of fun to watch because he just he's killing himself playing hard on a bad team and that's uh it's admirable to see somebody with that kind of motor just flying around putting in numbers. Yeah, he's got a great motor.
1: Like especially on offense. Like he he rolls hard. Like he dives to the rim hard. That's what that's a thing to like about Thomas Bryant too. Like he dives to the rim. Hard. He is good at rolling to the rim just because he's going to roll to the rim with aggression and assertiveness. And like that trait in a young big to be able to do that, like that's helpful. That's a really, really useful skill. I
0: was going to say, it it absolutely is a skill. I think people just think that it's all, you know, motor is this thing that you could just turn on and off. And it's not that, especially for guys that are that big. It's a skill to be able to play that hard regularly and all the time like Collins is almost it's almost too far which which sounds funny but there are times when I want him to pedal back because they'll be they'll be down 20 in the fourth quarter and he'll be flying around getting undercut and like risking injury because he he just only has one way to play and it's a really good thing for a young guy to have and Brian I, I agree with you on Brian obviously I haven't seen him quite as much as Collins but he plays hard And if you're guys with, you know, both those guys are good athletes and they do, they have, they have decent size and all that stuff, but they're not like overwhelming physical forces. So if you play that, if you play that hard, it helps the level of playing field quite a bit. And you can sort of carve out a role for yourself, even if you're not the most skilled guy in the world. Both those guys actually are skilled, but even if they weren't, you can, you can be an NBA big, just playing that hard and athletically and with force.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think those guys are at two different levels. Like, I think Collins is going to be really, really good, and Thomas Bryan, I still think, for figuring out what he's going to be. But I think because of the type of player that Bryan is, uh, the way that he kind of plays hard, rolls hard, energy guy, he's still totally getting it together defensively. He's just not there defensively. He backpedals more than any other big in the NBA on defense. Like, you watch his pick-and-roll defense. And the whole thing is him coming up too high and then backpedaling. It is amazing that he hasn't tripped over his own feet in a game yet this year and like just fallen flat in his behind during a game. But, you know, that sort of footwork stuff and read stuff, like he apparently has a good work ethic. They like his work ethic a lot. He's a smart kid, like that kind of stuff can be taught and can be learned. And I think the Wizards hope he can get better at that because he works hard and he's smart, which are two pretty good signs for somebody learning something, which is really just a mental and skillful part of the game. Uh, But I don't really know, like, how high Bryant is going to climb, but I, man, Collins is. I enjoy watching him. Another really interesting part of the way that those two teams are developing those two guys, and they're different players with different skill sets, but I just think it's interesting because, look, these are two losing teams and two young bigs that are trying to be developed by their organizations. And, like, Collins, they're trying to push him out to the three-point line. You can tell. Like, they would like him someday to be shooting threes at, you know, a rate to, like, he was making them tonight. And uh with Bryant, he came in. Like, in the G League last year, he was taking five threes a game. You don't see him popping anymore. Like, he pretty much rolls every time. And I know that's something the Wizards have really kind of beaten into him. Like, they want him rolling hard because they think he's a good roller and he's a big body, and they like that. And they like him more around the rim. And an interesting thing, like, so he's 5 for 7 from the field tonight. Took a 3, but he's 5 for 7 from the field tonight. For the most part, he doesn't really pop. He certainly doesn't pop as much as he did early in the year. And uh, it's interesting that in a league where bigs are kind of being pushed out to the 3-point line, even if they're 28% 3-point shooters, the Wizards have gone in the other direction. And so, like, no, 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 no. Reign that in. This is your strength. Play to your strength, and they they've wanted him recognizing that. Now he's shooting like he's shooting like seventy five percent from two point range, and I think the Wizards just want him going at that. And I don't know. I think that juxtaposition is interesting. It's totally particular depending on the depending on the player, and I think both organizations are probably right in what they're doing. Um, still interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's not.
0: No, I I, I totally agree. I think I think it's just you know philosophically. You're looking at different players for different things. But even as a rookie, for instance, like un- under Mike Budenholzer, when, who was who was in Atlanta last year, Collins was almost exclusively a roller and was crashing all the time. And that was his strength coming into the draft. I think that was some, one of the uh, evaluations that I had of him and a lot of people had of him was that he was really good around the rim. He played hard, everything that we've been, we've been saying before. And now this new regime with Lloyd Pierce and Travis Slate, they, they see him as someone who could be this multifaceted scorer type. And that means taking threes. That means having the ball in his hands. And it's kind of a progression process. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for playing to your strength. And, and, I, and I think in a game, if, if you wanted to win a game today at all costs, if you're the Hawks, you would have John Collins rolling a lot more than he is right now. But they want him to be growing as a player, that they and they, and they see more upside in him. So I understand that, whereas the Wizards are in a spot where, you know, for better or worse, they're, they're definitely trying to win a lot more than the Hawks are at this moment, and, and that means probably playing to Bryant's strengths as a, as a, as a role guy and someone who's crashing the, the glass and just kind of being around the rim and being efficient. So, yeah, philosophically, it's really interesting to see the differences, and I know, you know, there are definitely teams in the league who are, are further away from each other than the Hawks and Wizards. They're kind of probably closer than Wizards fans would like to think that they are right now, but they are definitely different goals, and that, that can kind of manifest itself. As well in different ways. And, you know, one of those guys is a, is a first round pick. They're the other one's, you know, trying to make his way more in the way of Bryant. So it, you know, it becomes very interesting and very nuanced. You kind of see what both teams are looking to do with both those guys.
1: You know, Alex Len murdered tonight, by the way.
0: I think it might have been the best game of his, maybe not of his career. I think the best game of his season. And I think, you know, at one point, I think in, after three quarters, he had 20 and 10 in 19 minutes. And it was like, I looked up and I was like, I mean, are you kidding me right now? But, you know, Len has actually been pretty, pretty solid. It's a situation where he's really inconsistent, which makes Hawks fans crazy. and I think it made Suns fans crazy before that. But now he's no longer the top five pick guy on the Suns that was like this, you know, quote unquote, pseudo bust. Now he's this guy who is this rotation player who's who's on a pretty cheap contract and just plays hard and plays well. So Hawks fans like him. He's obviously not quite this player with 24 and 11 like he was tonight, but I kind of like Alex Lynn.
1: Here in Washington, we call that the Jeff Green effect.
0: Yeah, uh, Jeff Green was good in this game, I thought. Jeff Green's been
1: good all year. Jeff Green, not, Jeff Green's having, quietly having the best year of his career.
0: At age, you know, 30-something. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, on a minimum
1: deal. Hey, look, the Wizards didn't give up a first-round pick for him. They didn't sign him to a big contract. He's just a dude on a minimum contract who's shooting 50 from the field and has a 60-something percent true shooting percentage and has been pretty solid defensively and is shooting 50% on corner threes pretty sure every team would take that in the bench player.
0: It's the power of expectations. It really mm-hmm. is. Like every, Guys, when they go different teams, you know, Len's a good example, Green's a good example. There's a lot of examples around the league of it's all about what you're expecting from a guy. And if, if you're Jeff Green you're a minimum player and you're being a competent starter, that's a huge, huge win. Um, whereas if when, you know before, Jeff Green could be the most maddening player in the world. And you could see why, but now, you know, making a minimum – Go in and do your role, and he was good in this game. He's been good. I've seen him a bunch of times be good this year. I, I, it sounds like you're saying the same thing in sort of a big picture sense. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Same thing. It's like all about kind of how you look at things. And uh, when you're asking Jeff Green to just do what he's doing now, he's pretty good at it. He
1: also had a magnificent layup tonight. <laughs> I, don't,
0: I know exactly.
1: I know exactly the player you're talking about. It was amazing. It was. It was. It was on Alex Len. It was he looked like he was going to slam on him and Len made a good play protecting the rim and not fouling him. And, and I don't know, I don't even know how to describe what Jeff Green did. He like hawked back and then, and then, and then somehow made the layup and it was, it was great. I looked at it, I was like, that was Dr. J like, and then I'm like, oh great. Now that's another person that Jeff Green has been compared to.
0: Um, You should have tweeted that out if you didn't.
1: I, I wrote a piece uh, a couple a couple of weeks ago. Last week, I wrote a piece on why players have a propensity to compare Jeff Green to all-time great NBA players. And, uh, and I spoke to like Bradley Beal and John Wall and, and other guys about that and Scott Brooks and, and other people about why that happens with Jeff Green. You can go read it on the Athletic DC. You can go find that article and subscribe. I actually tweeted it out tonight. Uh, and so yeah. That that's why. Those plays. That,
0: that was a why. beautiful organic plug, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Totally inorganic.
1: Uh, do you wanna before we finish up, uh, why don't you plug some of, your, some of your good work before we go?
0: Yeah, as you mentioned at the top, I uh, write national stuff at Dime, which is uh, a lot of fun. I uh, have a have, have good time with those guys, but all my Hawks coverage at Peachtree Hoops, which is the SB Nation Hawks site. I'm also the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast, which I uh, enjoy doing. Talked about the Wizards just before we started here, and you know, a little bit less fun to talk about after a loss, but I'm kind of used to that. I kind of had that down, down to a science at this point in time, talking about Hawks' losses. But, you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of fun to cover this team right now. They are young and interesting and have some interesting pieces, and it's not really the slog that it was a couple of years ago. So I'm kind of enjoying myself and, uh, yeah, following me all those places. Yeah, Brad
1: does great work there, and Dime's awesome. I used to write for Dime. Great. Dime is great.
0: is. I enjoy it. We have a good time.
1: Yeah, Dime's a fun place to work. There are great people there, too. I, I, I really enjoy the people there. Um, that is it for today. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars. You know the spiel. Go leave. Seriously, go leave a damn review. Go leave a review and say the nicest things you can possibly think of about this podcast while you're at it. Uh, I'll be back. The Wizards road trip coming up at Miami, at Oklahoma City, and then, what is it, at Philadelphia. I'll be at all three of those games. I'll be podcasting from Miami after the game on Friday. No practice tomorrow for them, uh, so you won't really see an update uh, in all likelihood, at least straight from the team. You won't see an update on on Marquise Morris, who saw a specialist today in Dallas for his neck-slash-back issue. I'll be back on Friday after the Miami game. I'll talk to you guys then.